Well, I want to thank Wendy Seelhoff who shared that story. We are seeking to collect stories from the 21 days of making space with God, from the Speak Jesus time that we've been in, and our whole desire is to be able to share those. Sam Johnson, who uh, is a part of our church, is putting together those stories. If you have a story, you can let me know, you can let Andrea know, you can let the church office know. We are excited to be able to share those stories of how God is speaking to you and what that means. With that, I want to share with you coming up next Sunday. Anybody know what next Sunday is? Super Bowl? No. (laughs) It's our church business meeting after the service. (laughs) Give me a break. No. Um, This is about a year ago. We brought three resets, and we're at the point now where I think we're going to be concluding all three of those. And so we'll share more about that on Sunday. Something can pray for us, a staff, as we begin to meet together, and we're putting together plans around those priorities of reaching our community, um, what it means to embrace and empower the emerging generations, and how do we do this together. Those are our three strategies. Would you pray for us? as a staff, as volunteers, as we seek to do that and kind of unfold over the next year or two where God is taking us and how you can be specifically involved in that. So please be in prayer for that. A couple other things I want to just mention real quickly. There's a women's retreat. It's the IF retreat. Women, yeah. I should say no more. Find it. You need to go. Kids ministry, Sunday mornings. Uh, if you're online and you've been thinking about coming back, we want to encourage you to come back down in our kids' ministry. The month of February will be an opportunity for people to speak Jesus through their actions of compassion. And we're going to be doing that as kids will be doing that to um, with their families, to other families that they are in contact with, whether it be in their neighborhood or within the sense of being a neighbor, someone who's close to you. Well, we are in a new series. This new series is called Get Wise. We're going to be looking at, through the next about four weeks, four or five weeks, the Proverbs 1 through 4. And we're going to look at this specific idea. What does it mean to get wise? And where are you getting your wisdom from? Who is discipling you, kind of sense, forming your heart to follow Jesus and to know God. So with that being said, I just want to share with you that I, I think sometimes the best way to know the reason something has been created is to understand why and who they created it, and it's often good to go to the creator. So some inventions that need usually creators, you know, kind of their explanation, I was looking at some things on the website, and here are some actual inventions that are being sold. You may wonder what that is. It's the baby mop. If you want to, you know, use all the energy of your child, just let them go. I don't know what parents will think around that with all the illnesses that are in today. Anyway, uh, you may wonder what this is for. This is the boyfriend pillow. Yeah, I, who would have known? Anyway, now for the guys. What is this? The ab hanser. It's time to quit sporting the kegger, guys, and to begin to actually get the six-pack. In fact, nine-pack, if you look at that. Nine-pack. I I would show you, but um, mine. But anyway, let's look at another one. Have any idea what this is? It's the quack. The perfect thing to put over your dog's mouth so that it doesn't bite or bark or chew or anything. Um, I don't know. Next one. 
the dog Broa. Which I look at that and I go, every dog I've had could care less if they get wet or not. So I don't know how that would ever work. And here's the last one. Yes, is, have you anybody you ever been a victim of lunch? Um, someone stealing your lunch? Okay, this is the perfect. This is the perfect right here. Do you, you? The baggie looks like it has mold on it. You will never lose your lunch, so to speak, again. If you want to get wise, you have to go to the Creator. You have to understand who created you, why He created you, how He created you. It only makes sense to go to the source of wisdom. If you want to understand how something works, that's what you need to do. And that's what it looks like when we come to Proverbs 1. Proverbs 1 basically asks this question, how do you get wise? Where do you go to get wise? And as we look at Proverbs 1, we're going to see that Proverbs 1 basically starts with this idea. It says, if you want to get wise, start with God. If you want to develop character in your life, start with God. If you want to develop resiliency, start with God. If you want to understand how to have a deeper, more meaningful relationship with your spouse, start with God. If you want to build better friendships, start with God. If you want to actually be the, a, a better employee and to do better at work, start with God. If you want to be a better boss, a better supervisor, start with God. Everything starts with God. It's a proverb says. So Proverbs 1, it's the key verse, verse 7. We're going to spend some time just on verse 7, and then we'll go back to the surrounding verses. But the key verse that unlocks what I would call the truths of the universe, or it's the foundation of wisdom for all of life. The message puts it this way, start with God. The first step in learning is bowing down to God. Only fools thumb their noses at such wisdom and learning. And so as we talk about this very idea of, of wisdom and knowledge and what that means, it pretty much implies that you have to get to know God. That starting point in verse 7 tells us two things. If you look at the NIV version as we read verse 7, it, it, it is very clear. It says, the fear, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. And I just want you to hold that in your heart and mind for the next maybe 10, 15 minutes as we just talk about what does it mean to know the fear of the Lord and then to get knowledge. You see what it says there? It says it's the beginning. It's in a sense the gateway to knowledge. This verse is the foundation peg of what it means to be wise. Fear is an interesting thing because fear has with it this element of of being a little bit afraid, if you want to put it that way. Fear is often this sense of humble reverence or deep respect. It demands obedience. In fact, if you wanted, the, for me, the clearest way to say the fear of the Lord, it's really about right relationship with the other person, in this case, God. It's about right relationship. Just about a week or so ago, I sat down on our, in my porch office and I was just getting started in the morning and all of a sudden I heard this, we have, you know, heaters and gets it heated. I hear this pop, pop, pop. I look over and this fire is just popping out of the outlet. I'm scared that I don't know what to do. My, I yell to my wife, she comes out with the, with two of our, um, extinguishers, fire extinguishers. Don't know how to work the one. I, first, if you have one, learn how to work it. 
I took the second one and I just jammed as hard as I could on the handle and it sprayed and got the thing out. By then the police have come. And I went down to our fuses and our house is pretty old so I couldn't find which one was a porch. Finally found one that said porch, turned it off. But I still had this healthy respect of those two wires. I didn't dare touch it. Neither did the policeman and the group that came first initially. Even even the firefighters said, you know, call an electrician. We found out later that even though I turned that fuse, it didn't turn off those wires. Thank God I had a healthy respect of that electricity. But at the same time, I love that electricity because it's the very thing that powers the light. It's the thing that lets the fan go around. It's the very thing that allows for a TV to work. There's all kinds of things. Electricity in many ways is my best friend. Yet I have healthy respect. There's a sense that when you talk about your father, let's say, as you were growing up, there's a sense that you, maybe for your parents, your father and your mother, you had a, had a sense of healthy respect, but yet you know they, not all, but in many, many cases, you know they loved you. There's this sense that he's starting by saying, the father who created you loves you and have a right relationship of respect of who he is and, and what he asked you to do and how you live with him. And then, in this sense, recognize he deeply loves you. Okay, I, I had more ideas on that, but we're going to go right to the next. It is the beginning, the foundation of knowledge. This is critically important. This idea that a proper relationship with the creator is the gateway to true knowledge. It doesn't even actually say here knowledge of God. It talks about all knowledge. And we need to, I want us to kind of camp on this word knowledge for a little bit because you need to understand in our day and age what knowledge the Bible is talking about. Okay? The word to know or the word knowledge is found 1,324 times in the Bible, depending on the translation used. The Hebrew word for it is yada. The Greek word is gnosko or oida. And those are the words that are used for that. The biblical concept of knowledge is quite robust. It takes in more than what we in our culture today, especially living in modernity, we're in the postmodern now, but in this age of reason, which has had such a huge impact on us over the last two, three hundred years. One author writes this about this topic. He says, knowledge is information about facts, skills for life, and acquaintance with persons, which may include deep soul friendship or sexual intercourse. That's how it's used often throughout the word of God. Knowledge is gained not only through the physical senses, but also spiritually by divine revelation. I want us to understand that. There is more than just physical knowledge, but spiritual knowledge. We're going to take a moment to just talk about that. Knowing God as it's presented in the Bible and as it's learned in experience every day by people through the centuries is a spiritual reality, not just a physical reality, but a spiritual reality. And even though it's primarily concerned what is unseen by the physical eye, it is just as real as the chemicals in the chemistry table. Knowledge is spiritual. It is physical, but it's spiritual. The Bible says in 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 17, don't lose heart, says Paul. Even in the midst of all your momentary, temporary trials, there's something more eternal. And this is what he calls you to do. He says, fix your eyes 
not on what is seen, but on what is unseen. We can know that. We can fix our eyes on that. So note this. Spiritual reality is not just, it is not just, um, it is, let me put it to it. Spiritual reality is just as real as physical reality. Okay? And I would say that the Bible and throughout most of history, spiritual knowledge has been considered to be more real and substantive than physical knowledge. See, the age that you live in, the universities that your kids have gone to or you have gone to, will have told you something like this. All that can be truly known is what we can learn through science and the scientific method. What we know is what we can know through our senses. Michael Shermer, I was reading this the other day, just popped up and it says, writes in Scientific American, an article titled, Is Truth an Outdated Concept? And he's now here talking about this kind of sense of reason and what we can see and know in our senses through a scientific method. Ours is called the age of science for a reason. And that reason is reason itself, which in recent decades, now they're getting, they're upset now. Because those who hold to the fact you can only know what you can sense or see or hear or touch or taste in recent decades has come under fire by cognitive psychologists, behavioral economists, and by postmodernists. They're upset about this, but the Bible has always said this to be true. What we can know through our spirit is just as important as what we can know through our five senses. That is implied in Proverbs chapter 1 verse 7. You can know spiritual realities. The Bible states there is a physical knowing that comes through our senses, yet there is a spiritual knowing that comes through faith. Faith is just as valid as a way of knowing something. And the Bible says that clearly. Dallas Willard says, The drive to make science the authority for knowledge is deeply rooted in the intention of fallen humanity to master the world for themselves. Faith is a way of knowing what is not knowable by the senses. And again, as your kids go off to college and they start hearing these things from materialistic, what I would call not materialistic in the way that they want things, but they're more materialist in the sense of understanding knowledge, the Bible opposes that. And so contrary, contrary to modern scientific thought, faith is not, according to the Bible, faith is not opposed to knowledge. Okay? Faith is not opposed to knowledge. Faith, according to what the Bible has to say, is a kind of knowledge of the invisible spiritual world that the Bible says is essential if we are going to experience the fullness of life, if we are going to experience righteousness and peace and joy. Faith is not opposed to knowledge. What the Bible does say is this. Faith is opposed to sight. Faith operates in a realm beyond what we can be, what we can see and relies on the spiritual knowledge that comes through. And here's going to be something really important as we continue on this. So stay with me. Faith comes through an interactive relationship with God. And what we know then about the eternal or things that we, we can't see comes to that interactive relationship with God. So here's the second thing I want you to note about this word knowledge. 
specifically when the Bible refers to it, many of the times when it's talking about knowledge, it's talking about heart knowing. It's about knowing in the spirit realm. It's about understanding in that place. And, and it's not about head knowledge. It's not knowledge about things, which is, is one of the, the great um, downsides of what's happening in the church over the last number of years is we've become so, again, in our head that knowledge is about reading God's word. You know a lot about doctrines. You know all kinds of things. And that's not what the Bible says, right? So you can know it's in the spirit and you know it by a heart knowledge, by a right relationship, if you want to put it that way, with God. But even more than that, because when we hear right relationship, we kind of lock into something that you may have... Um, been taught before. It's about interactive knowledge with God. That's an incredibly important word. The heart knowledge is interactive, personal, and relational. And when the Bible speaks about knowing God, it speaks about this interactive relationship. That's what Jesus often talked about. So I want you to think about it for a second. The things that we know best are the things that we know through an interactive relationship with, right? I'll give you an example. Um, <clears throat> I know a lot about dogs, specifically even golden retrievers. I have a number of golden retrievers, and I know things about them, like um, they're kind of a golden color. <laughs> they bark. And, and seriously, some people don't know this about golden retrievers. They're always happy. At least they look that way. Um, they love to please people. And um, they, they are just a good-natured dog. I know about golden retrievers, but I know of a golden retriever by the name of Lila that I love because I was in an interactive relationship with Lila. Lila was this crazy mix, had golden retriever, and with it had a German short hair that looked, when it got done, like a black lab. But had this golden retriever. Lyle actually was an accident between our golden retriever and across the street, our neighbor's German short hair, which was a grand champion hunter. So our common hoi polloi kind of dog crossed the street, and, and that's enough of the story. But I always felt so bad because it's kind of like we came from the other side of the tracks. And we scored big by getting Lila because Lila was this incredible hunting bird dog. I didn't, never knew a thing about hunting, but it would go around in trees, caught a pheasant. Went, I mean, unbelievable. Didn't, well, uh, enough about Lila. Because Lila, I love so much because I was in this interactive relationship with, she's actually buried in the Hall of Fame of our pets in our hobby farm. Only three pets made it. Anyway, I won't share with you who they are. But I know Lila because I interacted with her. I was wise to her ways. I knew her idiosyncrasies. I knew this dog. You know best that which you have an interactive relationship with. It's true in marriage. It's true with children. It's true in a work situation. It, think about that. You know God best when you know him interactively. You know God best when you know him interactively. You know him in an inter intimate way. 
You begin to know his forgiveness. You begin to experience his wisdom. You begin to experience his grace. I remember when I was in my college years and I was just beginning to follow Jesus. And I remember my following Jesus was out of a wanting to know him and to seek after him. But I didn't understand grace. People would talk about grace in a way that I didn't understand. It was just a concept, just a word. And I remember at one point just being a little frustrated and praying to God in my own quiet time saying, God, I really want to understand this idea of grace much more so. And then he began to help me understand what it meant to live in an undeserved favor with relationship to the sin in my life and began to point out the sin in my life in a way not to shame me or hurt me, but just to make it clear what grace was. And then I began to understand as I continued to understand this concept, it's far greater than just undeserved favor. Grace is the empowering presence of God to do in your life what you can't do in your own. You don't get that by just studying a concept. You get that by being in an interactive relationship with Jesus. And we sell ourselves so short on this. Let me give you an act, just an example of interactive learning. Interactive learning with regard to writing. Do you know, and here, for people who are writing notes or people who give me a hard time for journaling, I feel so much better having found this out and understanding this. <clears throat> but did you know that with, when you, um, the effect of writing something down on your learning is eight times greater than just hearing something? Eight times greater. Because writing something out involves your whole body. Here's, here's how it works. What happens is you use your, your, your hands, you're using your mind, your eyes, all these things. And when you do that, the concept isn't just being heard and going into your brain. You're actually beginning to fire neurons that you didn't have before. You're creating pathways. And so you are actually interacting with the writing. And you begin to, you, you, you begin to change physically change. When you are in an interactive relationship with God, where you begin to, to, to know him and to, to relate to him, you actually will change. And the more you present your whole self to him, the more you will be changed and transformed by this relationship with him, which is not head knowledge. For example, when God through the prophet Amos says to the nation Israel, in Amos chapter 3 verse 2, he says, you only have I known of all the nations that are upon the earth. God wasn't saying he didn't know the other nations, right? What he's saying is you are the only ones I've entered into an interactive, intimate relationship with. Or when Mary asked Gabriel, how can I have a child? Well, I, don't, I don't know a man. I don't know a man. And, and, and she's not saying I didn't, she didn't know other men in the village. In fact, she, she knew a few of them really well. But she's basically making this point. She had not been in an appropriate, interactive relationship with a man in order to have a child. It couldn't change her physically. So Proverbs 1.7. It's really clear on this. True knowledge begins with an interactive relationship with God. And the more you're willing to interact with him, the more transformed you will be in every area of your life, the more wise you will become. I just want to convince you of that truth. Passion Translation, I think, says it well. We cross the threshold of true knowledge when we live in obedient devotion to God. Stubborn know-it-alls will never stop to do this. For they scorn true wisdom and knowledge. They scorn 
what it means to interactively live in relationship with God. Dallas Ward, I love what he says. A lot of these thoughts come from him. No matter how much you know about chemistry, physics, mechanics, mathematics, art, history, economics, or any other areas of knowledge, the question, what shall I do, can only be answered by a relationship with the living God. Knowledge requires interactive relationship with God. Let me share with you this. The church at large, particularly even the evangelical church, I think has added to this confusion over the last number of years. We have said, if you believe in certain truths about Jesus and God, that is eternal life. If you believe in these certain truths, that's eternal life. That's not what Jesus says. Listen to what Jesus says in John seventeen three. Now, this is eternal life, and I want you to understand, when you hear eternal, it is not necessarily just about quantity of years. We always kind of go, oh, life forever. It's much more than that. It's life in the sense of quality. It impacts you and transforms you. Now, this is eternal life. Listen to what he says. This is in his prayer. That they know you, the only true God in Jesus Christ, whom you have sent. That they are in an interactive relationship with the God who is their father. Some people suspect that they will have to answer um, questions on an exam to get into heaven. That's not going to be the case. The kind of knowledge that God wants us to grow in is interactive. And you begin, the moment you open your heart to Jesus and you say, I want to have an interactive relationship with you, I want you to forgive me of my sins and I ask you to give me grace and you move into the interactive place, your life, the eternal life begins in your life. If you've never done that, I encourage you. Don't live another day without knowing Jesus and God. Don't live knowing about Now let me talk to you about the rest of this, the rest of the verses. So we did verse 7, right? We're going to do each verse just the same way. (laughs) It's really serious. We don't have a football game to go to, right? There's no divisional playoffs. There's no Super Bowl. Everybody okay? There's an exciting basketball game around 3 for the golfers, but that's about it. We'll get out of here before 3, I promise. no, this is what I say. If you want an interactive relationship with God, now this is the thing that began to really kind of God was just going, Kevin, I just want you to pay attention to this because this is stuff that you need to know, that you need to live. Because when it starts in Proverbs, if you look at Proverbs 1 through 6 of this first chapter, he goes through a list of things. And remember, I'm telling you, what you interact with, it, you will know best. So if you interact with God's word, you will not only get to know God's word, something far greater is going to happen, you're going to get to know God. And one of the reasons he doesn't start off with things about creation and other things, he starts out with this idea of the word of God, the Proverbs, which basically can be extended to all of the revealed scripture. He's talking about not a general revelation, but a specific revelation that comes through his word, because through his word, by far better than any other way, will you, through this, interact with the word, capital W, word, Jesus, through the little word, Bible, but it's the Bible, which is his, his revelation by authority, inspired, that as we interact with this, we have the opportunity in a way so uniquely to interact with God. So how do you do it? According to this, if you read these first verses, and I'll read it from the message, <clears throat> there are wise, these are, and I like the message because of how it 
says it, I think, really clearly. There are the wise sayings of Solomon. These are the wise sayings of Solomon. David's son, Israel's king, written down so that we will know how to live well and right, to understand what life means and where it's going. A manual for living. These aren't just historical um, stories. They're just not propositional truths, very few, in fact. They are more a revelation of God as you interact with it that allows you to interact with him in a way that he transforms your life. And, and so this is a manual for life, as he says here, for learning what's right and just and fair, to teach the inexperienced the ropes, to give our young people a grasp of reality. I didn't even say, share this about one of the, 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 the things about um, what we know today with the, the, mod, the modernity and, and all the things around the age of reason and scientific method and all these things. Even today, one of the reasons it's becoming difficult is there's a couple things. One is, for instance, think of an idea. You cannot, an idea is a spiritual kind of quality. You envision maybe building a house or something. It's in your head, and then you put it down on paper. That's where you can sense it and see it. But you can't go into a brain... And, and slice it as much as you can, find an idea. Right? Yeah, it, quantum physics has blown this all up on, on that age of reason. That's why we're in this postmodern age. Because you can look at this and you go, wow, that's pretty solid. But you know what? We know it isn't. We are beginning to understand quantum physics that there's a realm that we just can't know and see and touch and even the difficulty in the sense of experiments. But we can know God through his word. How do you get wise? Oh, man. I know we're supposed to quit. Can I go another five minutes or more? Those of you online said yes. I don't care about the rest of you. <laughs> Surround yourself with godly counsel. That's verses 8 through 19. My child... Your father corrects you. Don't neglect your mother's instruction. They Be careful about people who entice you, sinners. They may come and say, join us. My child, don't go along. The whole idea is the counsel that you used to get from your parents. Be careful who you hang around with because those who you associate with will influence you, right? Now, this doesn't mean that he wants you to get out of the world. In fact, God doesn't call us to live out of the world. He calls us to live in the world. But it means that we have a godly group of people around us who are influencing our thinking. So one of the reasons you're in small groups is not because you can sit around and go, boy, this is really a cool thing and it's all about head knowledge. It's about interacting with the knowledge that you have of a living God and how your story in that word has changed your life so you can share that with others. And you begin to share that so it actually makes a difference in the life of people in your group because you're becoming vulnerable and real with one another. Do you have a godly group of people who speak into your life? And, and the next thing is this, and I love this, for he says, um, not only is it through God's word and through godly people, a ring of people around you, but this idea that you practice listening all the time. You can interactively live with God all the time. Proverbs 20 and 23 Wisdom shouts in the street. She cries out in the public square. She calls to the crowds along the main street to those gathered in front of the city gate. You could paraphrase it like this. Wisdom stands at first in Maine at the busiest intersection right in the city square where traffic is thickest and she shouts, 
Listen to me. So you go into like the busiest of traffic, horns are honking and everything else, and you can hardly hear anything, and you got to kind of yell to your friend. God is even there. He's saying this, in the busiest, loudest places, wherever you go, I am there. If you're willing to listen and you're willing to interact with me, which means you have to take time to spend time with him alone, to come to services like this, to be involved in small groups. It calls all of you. And I'm not going to get into the last one, but it's a warning. And his warning is this. If you choose to not do those things, if you choose to not live in an interactive way with God, then recognize you're probably going to be making choices without God, and you will make your bed and you'll have to lie in it. That's just a reality. You may find yourself when you're 50, 60 years of age going, man, I wish I would have managed my finances better. I wish I would have listened to God and interacted with him back then. I wish that in, at this point in our marriage, as you, your kids are now going off to college, I wish I would have listened to God back then and gotten some counseling. Your choices you are making now, if you're not doing it interactively with God, will end up, he says in Proverbs, putting you in a place you don't want to be. And I just implore you, have the kind of spirit that says, God, I want to hear with you. Through your word, I want to take the time to do that. I I want to hear from others around me who are seeking to interactively live with you. And and I want to do it all the time. I'll end on this and let you guys go. Um, They're so patient back here, aren't they? I um, Last Tuesday, brought some stuff to my daughter. And I uh, had to drop it off at her house. And I come to the wind, to the door, and there's a little light, little window. You can look in, and here's my grandson, oh, 15, 20 feet back. My little grandson, about two and a half years of age. His name's Howie. And I look back there, and I see Howie. He sees me. And he, you can just see his energy in him, and his eyes light up, and he smiles real big, and he goes, Papa! And he runs to the door. I was feeling like a million bucks. It felt so good. The next morning, in my quiet time, I'm journaling. And one of the things I do is, God, where was I close to you? Where was I not? What are some things that happened yesterday? And I just started journaling and saying thank you for Howie and for that experience. And just God impressed on me. People like you need from me. That kind of love that just lights up and goes, ah, it's so good to see you. And it's like God was just saying to me, Kevin, because I don't do this well, folks, okay? I'm usually like, here's the goal, bye. Yeah, who are you? And I'm, I'm sorry. But God is saying to us, that's the kind of way he wants, he wants me at least, to, to be more in line like a Howie. And I give this illustration because you know what? I would have missed it. Because one of those interactions in the life itself, I would have missed it if I hadn't taken time to interact with God later about that. I love what Dallas Wood says. To know or know, not know God is our choice. To know or not know God is our choice. Anyone who wants to know God can know God. Anyone, anywhere on earth, at any time. Because it all starts with God. We're going to take communion. They're going to lead us in this. And um, just.
Just open up your heart and, and just say, God, I really want to interact with you in this moment.